chapter 1. We will also be in John chapter 19, Luke chapter 1, John 19. As we continue our Christmas series entitled, It's a Wonderful Life, a Family Story. Our Christmas series comes off of the movie, which is really my favorite Christmas movie. In fact, this Saturday night as I set up the chairs in here, I was watching that as I set the chairs up, and it reminded me how much I really love that movie. But the movie It's a Wonderful Life is not a movie about one man named George Bailey trying to get out of his little town. It's really a movie about a family. In fact, family has been our theme for 2017. It's been the subject of many of our messages. It's been sort of the quiet theme about behind everything we do. But in the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, the hero of the movie is not George Bailey. The hero's not George. In fact, George has a lot of outstanding flaws as I went back and watched the movie again. He's often angry. In fact, through the entire movie, there's a subtle anger that is beneath the surface. He's at times a very selfish person. And there's a few scenes where he's actually quite cruel and mean to his own wife and his own children. The hero of It's a Wonderful Life Well, the hero is Mary. If you watch the movie again, you'll see that Mary sacrifices repeatedly. She sacrifices her honeymoon and the money to save the building and to even help other people. She works tirelessly to take a condemned home and turn it into a house for them to live. She's constantly cheering up George. Ladies, you have to do this, right? George is constantly dour. There's an understow of pessimism in his life. And she's constantly bringing him up saying, it'll be okay, don't worry. And she, this struck me last night, she is the reason he wants to live again. It was not even his mother seeing his mother in her situation. That didn't cause him to want to live again. It was seeing that he would have a life without Mary that caused him to want to say, I want to live again. The title of it's a wonder, the movie is It's a Wonderful Life. But in really, in reality, the, the title should be It's a Wonderful Wife. Gentlemen, I'm supposed to talk to the ladies today, but I'm not sure how much of the ladies I'm going to talk to. If God has given you a gracious, wonderful woman to be your partner, you better take care of her. You better love her. You better cherish her. because you may never know when you might not have her. In preparing this and getting it ready and going over what I had already got ready this week, I literally found myself crying in my office. The reason, well, some of you know that about four or five years ago, uh, a routine visit to the doctor with my wife turned out to be emergency open-heart surgery. And that little Indian doctor didn't realize what was going to happen to him when he came out and told me that we're going to have to perform open-heart surgery on your wife or she will die. And I fell on that little five-foot-six Indian man, grabbed hold of him, and I just cried into his ear, you have to save her. She's all I have. Now, I don't know how that makes my kids feel, but And in preparing this and thinking about Mary in the movie and the Mary we're going to talk about today, 
gentlemen, if God has given you a wonderful wife, you better hold on to her. You better love her and take care of her. Because you never know when she might not be there for you. If you're taking notes today, our thought is this. Mothers make a house a home. Mothers make a group a family. We had that opportunity to talk about what would happen if Sandra had passed away. And we all kind of, the, the kids and I all decided that if Sandra dies, that uh, we would all basically disband as a family and join other families or something. Because she is literally the glue. She is the center point of our family. And without Sandra, she makes everything fun. She takes the most ridiculous things and turns them into a blast. She sometimes takes the most simplest things and makes them too complicated. I will confess that. But she takes a group of people and she makes us a family. Today, the two clips I want to highlight are Mary saving George again. Getting the money. It's the end of the, moon, end of the movie. And George needs the money. He needs help. And there is Mary saving him yet again. Show this clip. Turn me up. There's such amazing acting by Donna Reed. How she slowly backs up. That little smirk that she has at the end where she's not sure. She is such an amazing actress. Gentlemen, if God is giving you someone like that, someone sometimes who saves you from yourself. Oh, amen, sir? How many times have you wanted to say something or do something and she has grabbed you and said, oh, no, 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 no. I know my wife has done that. Or there might be a dead church member on the grounds, but... Why does Mary do it? Mary made a promise. Mary made a vow that she would love this man named George to the day she dies. Ladies, this might be the only thing I get onto you about today. If you've made a promise to a man, keep it. He said, Well, Pastor, he used to be so much better looking. All men are disgusting. I don't know what you were thinking in the first place. Pastor, he used to buy me flowers. He used to be so kind. Pastor, he used to, he used to, he used to. I understand that. and Maybe I need to talk to him then. But ma'am, you did not make a promise or a vow to him based on what he would do. You made a vow and a promise based on him, based on what you would do. Here's this beautiful little clip from when they're little kids and Mary says, I'll love you to the day I die. Help me down. Help you down. <laughs> Made up your mind yet? I'll take the chocolate. With coconuts? I don't like coconuts. You don't like coconuts? Say, brainless, don't you know where coconuts come from? Look at here. From Tahiti, Fijiana, the Coral Sea. 
A new magazine. I never saw it before. Of course you never. Only us explorers can get it. I've been nominated for membership in the National Geographic Society. Is this the year you can't hear on? George Bailey, I'll love you till the day I die. Hmm. What a great phrase. I'll love you till the day I die. That's the theme and the title of our message today. In Luke chapter 1, we meet another family. The beginning of this family, the first family, Jesus' family. And you know what this family has in common with every great family? This family has an amazing woman who is committed until the day she dies to her family, to her cause, to her kids, to her husband. Her name also happens to be Mary. Now let me give you a little warning. We're going to stick, like we did with Joseph, we're going to stick to just what the Bible says about Mary. There's a lot of thoughts. Some of them are good speculation. Some of them are borderline heresy about Mary. But let me just tell you what Mary did not. Mary did not ascend into heaven to be the queen of heaven. That is not in the Bible. Also, Mary has never appeared in a grilled cheese sandwich. She's also never appeared in tortillas. Mary has never asked for worship. In fact, that's the exact opposite of Scripture in Revelation 19.10. Mary had children after Jesus was born. Her and Joseph together. Matthew 13.55. Is not not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? In fact, Matthew 1.25 that we saw last week, Joseph and Mary were not physically intimate until Jesus was born, but after Jesus was born, they lived as a normal husband and wife. And some have placed Mary on a place that even Jesus did not do. It is interesting in Luke chapter 11, this is an amazing verse, Luke 11, 27 through 28, a woman says a compliment to Jesus and she says basically, blessed is the woman who raised you. Blessed is the woman who nursed you. Whoever did this must have did a great job. And Jesus turns it around and says, no, no, no. Blessed are the people who hear the word of God and keep it. There, Jesus had an opportunity to take praise of his mom and say, you're right, that is amazing. That's proof that Jesus wasn't Irish because every Irish boy loves his mother, but would never anyways. But (laughs) he doesn't take that and doesn't allow people to praise Mary. He says, no, no, no. The people who are blessed are the ones who hear the word of God. Mary was not divine, but Mary was special. So who is Mary? Well, what we do know about Mary is this. Actually, very little. Her name, well, her name Mary in the Hebrew is equivalent to Miriam. And Miriam, if you know the book of Ruth, Miriam means bitter. That was an interesting thought to think of, that the word Mary is another word for bitter. Mary's young life had been filled with bitterness and hardships. She came from a very poor town in Galilee. Nathaniel will sneer later on and say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? But Mary lived her life in a community, in a town, in a section that, quite frankly, had very few good things happen to it. It was not the other side of the tracks. It was the place where the other side of the tracks said, we don't even go there. Mary lived in a very poor, difficult community, and yet she still was faithful to God. May I say to you that is a great challenge to anyone that says, 
Well, I can't serve God because I didn't have the father I needed. I didn't have the mother. Because I'm socioeconomically deprived, this is the way I am. Mary had possibly every explanation or every excuse not to follow God. And yet, in this dirty, depraved town, we find this little woman of faith who stays true to God and stays true to her virtue. If Mary can serve God, you can serve God. The angel will appear to Mary and in part, well, she is legally bound to Joseph. We said this last week. There are two parts to the marriage ceremony. She is between the number one part, the, the Kudosh, which is the legally married part. It was a 12-month period where you were legally bound, but you did not have physical intimacy with that person. And then the second part, the Hufba, would be the physical act where the bride and groom would come together and there would be a seven-day party. That's John chapter 2 where Jesus performs his first miracle in Cana. So let's meet the real Mary, the Mary of the Bible, the Mary who was Jesus' mother. In Luke chapter 1, verse 28, And the angel came unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled and saying, Cast in her mind, what manner of salutation shall this be? I mean, another way of saying is, what is going on? What is happening to me? There's an angel in my room. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. There are two terms here, uh, highly favored and favored with God. These are terms about Mary receiving grace. Let me just, I hope I can clarify this. Mary is a receiver of grace. She is not a dispenser of grace. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Jesus is the only one who dispenses grace. Mary was a receiver of grace. Mary needed Christ as her personal Savior, just like you do. She had to accept Christ and what he did on the cruel Roman cross. The irony taking place here that what is growing inside of her is actually going to be what saves her for all eternity. Mary offers salvation to no one. She only points, and I'm almost, I have it pointed backwards. She only points people to the cross where her son Jesus died. Amen. Verse 31. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. That's exactly what the angel told Joseph last week in Matthew 1.21. And he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. Another way of saying that his father will be the highest. Or another Hebrew translation would be the most high God. And the Lord shall give unto him the throne of David. You have to understand David's throne to fully understand the kingdom of Jesus. In verse 33, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom shall be no end. Today, I want to explain this because this is an important, it's a subtle theological point. But if you get this wrong, you will have other errors go on in your life. Today, the kingdom of God is spiritual. Today, there is a spiritual kingdom of God. If you know Christ is your personal savior, you are part of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God physically today is in heaven. Oh, but there is coming a time when there will be a physical reign of Christ here on this earth. His kingdom will reign here on this earth. It's very interesting. People who allegorize and sort of spiritualize the last 19 chapters of the Bible, they do the same with the first 11 chapters of the Bible. Listen, today you need to be part of the spiritual kingdom of God. But there is coming a time after the rapture, after the tribulation, after the great, before the great white throne, that there will be a physical kingdom here on earth and Jesus will rule and reign. 
You say, Pastor, how do you know it's not today? Because the Word of God teaches us very plainly that Satan will be bound to a pit during that thousand-year period. And if Satan is bound to a pit today, I'd hate to see what would happen if he was loosed. Back here, verse 34. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? This is Mary's testimony to her own purity. Mary didn't grow up in Las Vegas. Right? I've been to Las Vegas. Don't go. We had to do it, fly in there on a missions trip over to Arizona, so we flew in there and went across. As soon as you get off the plane, Sin City is a great name for that town. It feels like someone is trying to get in your pocket to get your money or to get you do something your wife and mother would not want you to do. Mary didn't grow up in Las Vegas. She grew up in a place where Las Vegas would be like, well, at least we're not that. And yet... She testifies to her own purity. In verse 35, And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overwhelm thee. I do not know the physical act of how God did this. I'm not going to lie to you. I've seen people write papers and books on this. I do not know. All I know is that the angel said, This is what God's going to do, and God did it. Therefore, all the holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Isn't it interesting? The last few verses, go back and reread the last few verses, and what you find, well, you find the Trinity revealed there. You hear that God the Father is revealed there. We see the Holy Ghost is mentioned coming upon Mary, and the future, well, the future Son is there. All three parts of the Trinity are revealed in those three verses. All three are God, yet all three have a separate personality and a separate responsibility to perform. And just in case you were wondering, Mary, about God's power, here's an example, verse 36. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and in his sixth month with her, who was called barren. A virgin conceiving may not be as difficult as a senior lady, we do not know how old Elizabeth is, but it appears she was very old that day of time. Now, again, very old in that day might be 40. Ladies, I'm not insulting you, okay? When you die at 45, 40 is pretty old, right? That's why they would get married at 14 and 13. But maybe it's even more of an amazing miracle that a senior citizen is going to have a child. Ladies, aren't you glad you're not Elizabeth? Really? I mean... Sarah, right? Everything. I always thought the, the greatest curse for Job's wife is, you know, she had all those kids and then she was a really bad wife. And then the, God promises Job, now you're going to have more kids. And I, he never says he got a different wife. I hope he has the same wife who has, anyways. But in verse 37, this might be the reason why God brought you here today. Especially, you're talking about marriage, I'm not married. You're talking about wife. Me and my wife are good. I don't really know why you're going on about this issue. All right. Verse 37 might be the reason God brought you here today. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. You're struggling with some issue. Let me remind you, the grace of God can step in and heal you. The grace of God can step in and heal a relationship. God does not have to. He is not bound to. He must not perform the way we perform. But God's grace can step in and you can insert almost anything in there for with cancer, nothing is impossible with God for with divorce. Nothing is impossible with God for with bankruptcy. Nothing is impossible with God for just getting through this Christmas season. 
Nothing is impossible with God. Say amen. And how does a righteous woman, how does a righteous woman, a believer, respond to God's promises? Verse 38. And Mary said, Behold thy handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. The English standard says this. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. This moment is Mary's, I'll love you to the day I die. Isn't it interesting though? Hmm. What's interesting though is her promise to I love you to the day I die here is not to Joseph. It's to Jesus. I want to give you this little family thought, family foundation idea, and it's this. I'm going to sort of as a pyramid coming down. Husbands, love your wives. There's nothing wrong with your family that couldn't be fixed if you would just love your wife. The way Christ loves the church, unconditionally, no expectations. I'm just going to love you. I'm going to serve you. There's nothing that can't be changed in your family. Number two, mom, love your children. It's amazing how often the Bible has to remind husbands to love their wives, but it very rarely tells wives to love their husbands. You know why? Because women naturally have that tendency. A good woman who is loved will automatically return that favor and love her husband back. Mom, one of the most unnatural things, Romans 1.21 talks about women doing something that is against nature. But I'm going to tell you something. One of the most unnatural things that can take place is for a woman not to love her child. When we see this take place and a lady removes a baby out of her womb because it's an inconvenience. Or, and I know some people have had make very difficult decisions. I'm not trying to belittle those difficult decisions. But how do you not love your kids today? How do you not do everything for them? Mom, can I just say this to you? If you will pour your love into your kids, you'll get it back. And lastly, number three, children appreciate their love. Now, I could have used the word obey, couldn't I? Children, obey your parents. But you know what I found? If you appreciate what's being done for you, you'll not have a problem obeying them. See, the reason that you don't obey is because you don't appreciate what that person has done. You don't think they're worthy of your obedience. If you're here today, this all starts with a connection between you and Jesus. Sir, you say, Pastor, you tell me to love my wife, but okay, this is what you need to do. You're struggling to love your wife. Take some of the love Jesus gave you and give that to your wife. Just be a conduit of Jesus' love to your wife. Ma'am, you're here and your family is draining you. Okay, take some of the grace God has given you and give that to your children. Those of you that are single moms, man, I have such an appreciation for you over this last few months and stuff, having to take care of those monsters, I mean, children. Those monsters all by myself. I have so much appreciation for how you do it and go about it. It has to be very difficult. It has to be. But listen, you're struggling. You're thinking about just giving up. You're thinking about wandering off and maybe never being found. You fantasize about being stranded on a desert island and no one ever knowing you. The word mom has turned into a curse word for you, right? Because sometimes you hear dad. There's a way those little kids can say it. Dad, it's like nails on a... All right, Margaret, I'm going to come back. Anyway... You're struggling with your family. Can I suggest this? Take some of the grace that God gave you at the cross and give it to your children. And young people, you're struggling to appreciate their love. You're struggling to obey. Then follow the example of Jesus who was obedient even unto the death of the cross. Mary says, I'll love you to the day I'll die. 
Turn over to John chapter 19. It is so easy to make vows and commitments at weddings, isn't it? I mean, it's easy to say, I'll love you forever, to have and to hold for richer or richer. It is so easy. And I see these young people and they get married and they're like, oh, and I'm like, you don't know a thing about marriage and life. You have no idea what you're talking about. The easiest day of your marriage is your wedding. That's the easiest day. You say, well, that's really stressful. Yeah, it goes all downhill as far as easy is. I'm telling you, it gets harder. My wife and I, we have been on the same fight for 25 years. It started on our honeymoon. The day after our wedding night, we were trying to get out of Lubbock, Texas. By the way, who hasn't tried to get out of Lubbock, Texas? We were trying to get out of Lubbock, Texas. And this is a town where she grew up, and she didn't know how to get out of the town. And I pulled over, and I yelled at her, and I said, read the map! And she started to cry and said, I can't read a map. That has been the same argument we have had for over 25 years. For over 25 years, she still doesn't know where north is. <laughs> Wedding day is the easiest day of marriage. Listen, <laughs> it is so easy to make a commitment when everything is easy. You know when you find out if the commitment is real? During difficult times. Mary says, I'll love you to the day I die, but her commitment is not realized until John 19. There at the foot of the cross. Can I say this? The real tree of Christmas is the cross. Have trees in your house? We have eight. Nine. Is it nine? Thank you. We have nine trees in our house. My wife has a problem. She collects children and trees, but anyway... Listen, the real tree of Christmas is the cross. And here we are in John chapter 19. All the male disciples, uh, ladies, look at this. All the male disciples except for John have left. And there's Mary and a few of the ladies and some of the disciples. In John 19, verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother. And his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. And Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved. That's John. And he saith unto his mother, Behold thy son. You hear Jesus say this word woman. And in my mind, in your mind, it should go back to John chapter 2, verse 4. Because there at the miracle of the wedding, Jesus, Mary comes up to Jesus and says, Hey, you need to do all this stuff. Everything needs to be done. And in John 2, 4, it says, And Jesus said unto her, Woman, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour, which is right here in John 19, mine hour is not yet come. The word woman, it's G-Y-N-E. You can see gyno coming out of that. It's a term of respect. It's a term for a woman of any age, or I just thought that was fascinating. It's also a term for a betrothed woman. And in verse 27, it ends with this. Then said he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her into his own home. What can we learn from Mary? What can we learn from Mary's example for us? I'll give you three things. Number one, we can learn this. Persistence is rewarded. Persistence is rewarded. My entire life, my mother has tried to get me to eat vegetables. She's forced me. She's threatened me. 
She's put them in gravy. It doesn't matter. I hate vegetables. You know why I hate vegetables? Because everyone hates vegetables. If you like them, you're weird. You want to know why everyone hates vegetables? They can take vegetables and fruit and everything and put it in a big bowl and, and for weeks do a painting of them and nobody touches the vegetables. Try that with a bowl full of donuts. They'll be gone in a day. You go to the bathroom and they're all gone. But this week, in fact, I would remind my mother periodically when she tried to get me to eat vegetables, I would tell her, uh, you know, Hitler was a vegetarian, which is true. What that has to do with anything, I don't know. It didn't phase her. She's always been a little soft on the Nazis. But I, no, uh, I say all that because last week I went to the doctor and that doctor had so much joy. I know that doctor was paid by my mother. Because that doctor said, sir, if you want to avoid having to take cholesterol medication the first few years, you need to stop eating so much meat and you need to eat vegetables. Finally, my mother has won. So this week, I ate a carrot. Horrible, nasty weed. Anything good has parents. Think about it. Mom, you are just persistently going to the throne room of God for your kids and for your grandkids. Psalms 126.5, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. You're praying for someone you care about. Keep praying. Don't give up. You're waiting for your family to be healed. Keep trusting in God, asking for his grace. Mary faithfully followed God, even as a poor little girl, all the way to a woman at the cross. And tradition says as a senior citizen living out her life in the city of Jerusalem. And throughout all of it, God was faithful. Number two, Mary's example, passion is required. Passion is required for marriage. It's very easy to let a marriage go stale. Here's a little joke for you. A husband and wife drove for miles in silence after a terrible argument in which neither would budge. The husband pointed at a mule in a pasture as he went by and said, relatives of yours? Yes, the wife replied, but by marriage. Very easy to let passion go stale in a marriage, isn't it? By the way, that's one of the reasons why so many people get divorced after the kids move out. Passion goes out. You find yourself just being roommates and the kids are gone. You have no more reason to stay together. It's very easy for passion to leave marriage. You say, Pastor Steve, do you have any tips or anything to do it? I have no idea. All I know is we still have a passionate marriage. I mean, look who she's married to. Anyways. But our marriage... Our relationship with Jesus is compared to marriage. We are the bride. Jesus is the groom. Can I ask you this simple question as we talk about marriage passion? Have you lost your passion for your first love in Jesus? Oh, Jesus will tell a church in Revelation, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Mary loved Jesus to the day she died. Today, let me challenge you. If your passion for Jesus has been fizzled out by cares of the world, by sin, by anything. It's time to come back to the cross. It's time to reunite that passion for Jesus. Number three, purity is restored. Oh, please don't misunderstand me. Mary never had to have her physical purity restored. That was taken care of. She was a virgin before Jesus was born. But the purity that I'm speaking of, that Mary needed to have, Mary needed to have her spiritual purity restored. And the only way that you can be right with God is through Jesus Christ. Mary had to be saved, and so do you.
And can I just give you this one little thought, kind of piggybacking on last week's thought as we talked about physical intimacy? Can I just throw this at you? I just, just a thought. There you go. One act does not define you. One mistake is not who you are. Your mother-in-law might try to define you as it, but that's not who you are. One act does not define you. What defines you? Inactivity defines you. Meaning this, you have made a mistake in your life. You've made something big, something traumatic. You have made a mistake. The mistake is not what's going to define you. What's going to define you is your failure to act on the mistake and learn from the mistake and change from the mistake. You understand what I'm saying? You see, here today, failing to act on the spiritual issue of salvation, you are a sinner separated from God. Failing to act on that spiritual decision, that will define you and you will be a sinner lost forever. One act does not define you, but your inability to act on that act, that is what's going to define you. Not everyone appreciates a good woman, but if you found one, hold on to her. But only a fool would miss Mary. What Joseph knew about Mary last week He knew the quality of her character, the standard by which she lived. He knew her statue before God, and he knew Mary. I'll love you to the day I die. I've got one, two, three, four, five daughters now. I have to count. They keep growing, Mark. I don't know what's going on. But I will say this, that the females, the two females in my life who have made the biggest impact on me, are the two ladies who said, I'll love you to the day you die. My mother has changed me and made such a... Sometimes when I was a teenager, I thought it was a scar. But it really has been a huge impact on me. Uh, Years ago, when I was in San Francisco, um, I went there to candidate at a church to talk with them. And uh, I told God, anywhere you wanted me to go, the church in Alaska wanted me to come, and then the church in San Francisco. And I praised Jesus every day I didn't have to go to that God-forsaken place. I hated it the moment I stepped out of it. It felt like being in Europe and Sodom and Gomorrah. It was horrible. But I told Jesus, I'll go. Well, I interviewed with the church and everything, and I knew that wasn't going to go anywhere. And so I had a kind of a night to kill. And so I just kind of drove around San Francisco and everything. And uh, I got out of the car and found this nice area, and I started walking around. And I was dressed okay. And there were some nice people in, like, uh, suits and ladies dressed very elegantly, and they were going. I don't know what happened, but I kept walking down the wrong stretch, right? And I kept going further and further down. I wasn't paying attention. So finally I started noticing there was all these guys with needles in their arms and people doing drugs on the street and everything. But I made a mistake because I was raised by Southerners. I made a mistake because I was polite. And these two ladies who were dressed a little bit immodest, but they looked nice ladies. They would look like they were in their 30s or 40s or something. And I made a mistake of smiling at them because I'm a polite person. Well, the one blonde lady, she stopped me and she started rubbing my chest. And she said, would you like a date for the night? (sighs) So you don't know who you are, what you are until those moments take place. I panicked and started going, no, no, my mother would not like this. And the lady said to me as I was running, uh, she'll never know. And I said, you don't know my mother. Ladies, you keep pumping Jesus into them. You keep being an example to your children. 
You keep telling those little ones, I'll love you to the day I die. I don't care if they come home with purple hair. I don't care if police bring them home. I don't care if they're in rehab today. I will love you to the day I die. You keep being Jesus to them. And I'm going to tell you something. That will not return void on you. And then the other lady is my wife. I did not realize this until I got married, that I eat chocolate wrong. I didn't know this. I've been eating it my whole life until I got married. I found out I eat it wrong because I eat chocolate. I just put it in my mouth, to which my wife always says, you're doing it wrong. In fact, I will not eat this, Gary. I will give it to her because it's like Ghirardelli chocolate. Because apparently you're supposed to eat chocolate slowly. And you're supposed to savor it like it's some sort of rare delicacy or anything else. I'm like, look, they, they, you can put it on Cocoa Puffs. What's the big deal? It's just chocolate. But my wife has been correcting me my entire life. Listen, I am so glad that I have a woman by my side who has told me I'm doing something wrong at times. You know what? Sometimes there's been big issues. Who has been more than just a partner. She's my best friend. And I have no idea what I would do without her. Probably have a lot less gray hair. But I don't think I'd get through the day without her. Gentlemen, if God has given you a woman who will say, I'll love you to the day I die, hold on to her. Love her. If you're here and you're a mom, or you're a wife, you're a Mary, would you stand? Stand up with me. This is how I want to end our service today. If you can't stand, that's okay. I understand. I want to pray for you. Whether you're a single mom, whether you're a grandmother of nine, it doesn't matter. I want to pray for you. Somebody's counting on you. If you're tempted to give up, if you're tempted to walk away, if you're tempted just to I don't, I don't know why women love men, but I'm glad they do. If you're tempted, if you're thinking about it, I want to encourage you today. I'll love you to the day I'll die. Join me in prayer. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, there are some amazing ladies standing here. Father, there are some who have raised children all by themselves. There are some who have been in difficult marriages, but they've been faithful. There are some who are the best friend their husband will ever have. Some will go completely appreciated and they're given the honor that they deserve. And some have never been told thank you that they need. Lord, I would ask that your Holy Spirit would bless each one of these ladies. Encourage them. Help them, Father. They are so important. They take a group of people and make them family. They take a house and turn it into a home. Bless these ladies, Lord. Keep them from sin. Keep them from issues and struggles and whatever the issue might be in their life. But Lord, help them today to recommit to their husbands, recommit to their children, recommit to their families. I'll love you to the day I die. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Gentlemen, will you stand with these ladies? Gary, we're going to have our invitation. Everybody else can stand too. We'll have our invitation. Every 